a young perspective on hot-button issues around the world. This is The Hub. The third Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation has concluded in Beijing. As the most important diplomatic event hosted by China this year, what specific significance does it carry for international cooperation and global synergy? As the Belt and Road Initiative celebrates its 10th anniversary, what kind of new blueprint has it provided? It's Beijing's moment as the Chinese capital welcomes world leaders, charting the course for the common good. Chinese President Xi Jinping shared his vision of cooperation between countries under the Belt and Road Framework. We have learned that humankind is a community with a shared future. China can only do well when the world is doing well. When China does well, the world will get even better. Through Belt and Road cooperation, China is opening its door even wider to the world. An additional 80 billion yuan will be injected into the Silk Road Fund. Together, they will support BRI projects on the basis of market and business operation. The Belt and Road Initiative has not just focused on infrastructure and trade. Cooperation has expanded to new industries such as healthcare, low-carbon energy, the digital economy and innovation. The meeting hall is flanked by the flags of participating countries. Through the Belt and Road Initiative, China's friend circle has become larger, and the initiative has brought a new path for the world to realize modernization. The modernization we are pursuing is not for China alone, but for all developing countries through our joint efforts. Global modernization should be pursued to enhance peaceful development and mutually beneficial cooperation and bring prosperity to all. The Chinese president first announced the initiative during official visits to Kazakhstan and Indonesia in 2013. A decade of endeavor has left tangible outcomes. China has signed over 230 cooperation documents with more than 150 countries and 30 international organizations. Without infrastructure, including infrastructure, there can be no development. And without development support, many developing countries will be starved of the infrastructure they desperately need. Infrastructure is the foundation of everyday life for people and the economies. There is no exaggeration in saying that the BRI has injected new vitality into the ancient Silk Road. So the BRI put forth by China is a mega-cooperation project in the 21st century. In the next three years, we plan to build 1,300 kilometres of railway and we'll open the third cross-border railway along our border with China and establish new land ports. The chair's statement from this year's summit captures the consensus among participants and lays out the future direction of cooperation. A list of multilateral cooperation deliverables and a list of practical projects have also been released. The Belt and Road Initiative has brought far-reaching global impact in the past 10 years. This gathering has carried on the foundation, taking the friendship to the next level for the common development and prosperity. Zhao Yunfei, CGTN, Beijing. In the past year, I've had a chance to meet many heads of state and organizations that have been involved in Belt and Road projects. And I went to specific sites to see with my own eyes how the BRI has evolved. To begin with, let's first go back to where it all started. 
Ten years ago, it was in the hall behind me here in Nazarbayev University where the Belt and Road Initiative was first proposed by Chinese President Xi Jinping. Ten years on, this program has generated a lot of headlines and debate around the world. Throughout the millennia, the people of various countries along the ancient Silk Road have jointly written a chapter of friendship that has been passed on to this very day to forge closer economic ties, deepen cooperation and expand development space in the Eurasian region, we should take an innovative approach and jointly build an economic belt along the Silk Road. In the course of 10 years of development, the Belt and Road Initiative has helped alleviate poverty in many regions and kickstart economic growth by facilitating trade and creating jobs. The BRI was first proposed by China but it has become a mega-project that is ripple effects around the world. Mr. President, we're marking the 10th anniversary of the BRI. How do you look at the merits of the BRI and what do you think has brought to your country? It's a very promising mega-project and Kazakhstan strongly supports the concept which has been elaborated here 10 years ago by President Xi Jinping. This project uh, may bring a lot of benefits for so many countries. So Kazakhstan plays a crucial role in implementing this project. Ten years ago, Kazakhstan was just a landlocked country and barely known in the world. But today, thanks to the Belt and Road Initiative, it has become a very important transportation hub on the Eurasian continent. Of course, Kazakhstan has also gained huge benefits from this process, gaining many jobs for its people, building a large number of infrastructure facilities, increasing fiscal revenue and expanding its reputation. Therefore, the high-quality construction of the Belt and Road Initiative has injected new impetus into China-Kazakhstan relations. At the onset of our diplomatic relations, the trade volume between China and Kazakhstan was only slightly over 200 million US dollars in 1992 or 1993. Today, the trade between the two countries exceeds 30 billion US dollars, an increase of 70 times. Over the past decade, the BRI's circle of friends has continued to expand. With more than 150 countries and over 30 international organizations having signed up to jointly build the BRI, while breaking free from the stereotypical mindset of geopolitical gambling, it has created a new paradigm for international cooperation and brought concrete benefits to the people in all participating countries. I believe this initiative is timely and has made positive progress as it aims to unite the efforts of all countries in achieving the goal of common development. This initiative represents an excellent and correct top-level design that is continually evolving and being implemented. As you may know, the friendly cooperation between Iran and China dates back thousands of years. 
when the ancient Silk Road connected China's civilization with Iran's. We welcome the Belt and Road Initiative, the Global Development Initiative, and the Global Security Initiative proposed by President Xi Jinping. The ancient Silk Road has been revived in a modern way, which will have a positive impact on regional economic and trade cooperation. In my view, the connectivity enabled by the Belt and Road Initiative will not only facilitate economic and trade activities in the region, but also enhance the attractiveness of the countries situated along the route. I believe this initiative can serve as a goal the Shanghai Cooperation Organization works on, while also providing impetus for global development. As such, we are committed to actively participating in this cooperative initiative. Since uh, the Belt and Road Initiative started in 2013, it has been transformative in many ways, particularly for the African continent, focusing in those areas that Africa has lagged behind. Because if you look at Africa, particularly in the area of infrastructure, every metric, whether you look at uh, people that have access to energy or rail, network that is in the continent or road network or ports or airports, all those Africa lags uh, very much behind what you might call uh, the average statistics around the world. And China has supported not only Africa, under this program, over 3,000 projects have been implemented by countries that are members of Belt and Road Initiative or who participate which are more than 140, 150, plus many international organizations. In fact, if you look at the total investment that has come out of it, out of these programs, over one trillion has been invested. And Africa, if you look at Africa itself, a lot of projects that have been implemented, China now steps more or less ahead of any country, including the World Bank, in supporting infrastructure projects. And infrastructure projects are transformative in many ways because they create, first of all, they create investment opportunities uh, by lowering the cost of doing business, access to markets. They open up some of the areas like what you mentioned, the lithium, uh, the, the, the hydro project in Uganda, plus also where I sit in Kenya, we have the desire, I mean, we have uh, the SGR, which has also supported in many ways. If you look at SGR from Mombasa to Nairobi, it has reduced the time of doing business, reduced the number of vehicles on the road, uh, like 500 uh, buses or trucks out of the road per day. Imagine what that means in terms of saving costs, saving lives, and also mitigating against climate. In addition to all these projects under the Belt and Road Initiative, you have programs like people to people cooperation. So many African students studying in China at the moment, uh, and a number of areas in the area of uh, investment cooperation and others. So yes, this cooperation, which has been over the last 10 years, uh, has seen that uh, relationship grow stronger and Africa has benefited a lot. Despite positive results of BRI cooperation, some in the West have been hyping the BRI as China's so-called conspiracy to expand its clouds, calling it that trap. 
What's the reality on the ground, though? In 2018, Guyana became the first nation in South America to join the Belt and Road Initiative. According to official data, the focus of BRI in infrastructure, particularly in energy and transport, expanded to about 73% in the first half of 2022, up from 63% in 2021. In some Western critics' eyes, however, such framework is a tool China uses to expand political influence to African and Latin American and Caribbean countries. But many partner countries would tell you that China's approach is very different from their memory of Western colonization. Uh, we know that over the years, uh, many reporters in Western news media described China's economic activities and economic uh, investment, for example, in uh, Latin America and the Caribbean, your country included, as predatory and neo-colonialism. Do you agree? Is that how you feel too, Mr. President? Well, um, if that was how I felt, I would not have been uh, alluding throughout this uh, interview to our welcoming uh, nature for Chinese investment and investors. And I would not have, uh, have made the statements that I just made, that we see China, Chinese investment and investors in an, as an important and integral part of the development and advancement of our country. What we want is exactly what uh, I'm sure China wants is for those investments to bring the greatest benefit to the people of our country and also to support the development and advancement of China. So we see the, the development of our relationship as one that would only get stronger. We see the investment from China as an important part of the uh, investment portfolio and development portfolio of our country moving forward. That is how I see it. The Bar Bajali Highway that's connecting Montenegro south to the north came under great scrutiny. There has been so much negative press, so much controversy. An expensive road to nowhere. The ambitious plan, bankrolled by massive loans from China, has become an economic dead end for Montenegro. It's now become the country's highway to hell. The decision to build here was a mistake. Just to be fair, as journalists, we thought what better way to verify some of these claims than to actually come over here and see for ourselves. First of all, for God's sake, it's not a road to nowhere. It does have a starting point at Montenegro's Mediterranean port of Bard and ends at its northern city of Bojali at the Serbian border. The first section, also the most difficult one to build, is now complete, with more to boot, of course. And once all done, it will be the first highway in Montenegro's history. But why a new highway? Well, just look at this old one. A path Montenegrins themselves have called the death road. In the past decades, around 1,200 people died in car accidents on the old road, according to official data. Now, this is the new highway built by China Road and Bridge Corporation, or CRBC, with its local partners. It's a dual three-lane driveway. It's wider, it's smoother, and trust me, more importantly, it feels safer. For those Western journalists who claimed years ago that this would be a highway to hell, I highly recommend that they come here and drive on it as I did. To build a highway, China offered Montenegro a 20-year loan at an interest rate of 2% with a six-year grace period. Some friends in the West are insinuating that China somehow forced this infrastructure project and the financing plan on Montenegro to foster political dependence. But how much of a debt burden is it really for this small European country? 
Patros Lapelan was advisor to the Deputy Prime Minister Montenegro on financial affairs. And Mr. Belan, you know this better than I do. There are concerns about the nature of this loan and whether or not it creates excessive debt burden on no, the part of no, Montenegro. No, I, Some call it debt trap to, diplomacy. I have you know? to, to pose that Montenegrin economy is very stable. Uh, it is stable and uh, we, can, uh, we, we can afford us to, to do all our duties, or all uh, fin financial duties uh, regarding that, that loan. Today, with a Google search of China, Montenegro, top headlines still revolve around how expensive this highway is, as if Montenegro has been ripped off or overcharged. Let's do some research. China-constructed Bar Bojali Highway in Montenegro costs around 20 million euros per kilometer. Where does it stand? According to World Highway, Germany and Austria, two countries situated along the Alps, spend an average of 28.9 million euros and 27.8 million euros per kilometer on their highways. Romania spent 34 million euros per kilometer for its mountainous Transylvania highway. And France spent 133 million euros per kilometer to rebuild a highway in its hilly Reunion Island. How much of a debt burden is it for, for Montenegro? Well, when you put it on a blank paper, the loan which uh, Axim Bank uh, gave to Montenegro represents, I would say, uh, high percentages in Montenegrin uh, GDP. Yeah. Uh, however, if you want to build, you need to have resources, and Montenegro did not have resources, so the only way is actually to go and to seek for it from the financing institutions. and. Uh, there is very, I would say, flexible and quite a long time when Montenegro should return the loan. A 20-year loan with six-year grace period, right? Exactly. And 2% um, interest rates. Yeah. It was not the highest, let's say it was like uh, below the, the average, I, I would say, that time, best information I have. Uh, it was uh, in the period of recovery of the world economy after its crash uh, yeah. in 2008, uh, so 2013 was for sure the good period uh, for recovering of economies and uh, it was good for Montenegro to decide at that time to construct it without holding the decision because I believe that much more damage would make if the decision was holded for a few more years or decades. I could only assume that there can be benefits to, to locals when it comes to transport industry, tourism and others. It's totally like uh, indirect uh, benefits when it comes to the development of the local communities along the highway, uh, which is to be expected. Of course, it's not happening immediately, but it takes time to develop because it will make uh, transit easier and uh, it will make for tourism, which is one of the main industries in Montenegro, actually, it will make uh, much more accessible uh, some villages which are at the moment along the highway, speaking only about the first section, and in the future, when entire highway is finished, this will be like a big boost for Montenegro economy, and uh, it can bring many more investors. Focus, focus on what's relevant in China and the world. Bridge the bridge the gap between what you know and what you want to know. This is the hub. Since 2015, China has begun to promote eco-sustainability in the Belt and Road Initiative through not only vision statements but also specific guidelines and governance initiatives. Besides promoting low-carbon technologies, China has also been actively helping Belt and Road partner countries, especially developing countries, with their green transition. 
We caught up with Eric Sohan, the convener of the BRIGC and also the former Undersecretary General of the United Nations. Eric, let's talk about the graining of the BRI. What are the progress of the graining of the BRI? Uh, there is now enormous optimism, uh, particularly because when President Xi Jinping decided that China would stop all overseas coal investment, it had immediate impact. And coal investment, of course, came down, but also the desire from everyone to ask China, please come and help us with solar, with wind, high-speed rail, electric buses, all the alternative techno technologies. That desire is now so strong. So we see Belt and Road and this Green Belt and Road Coalition as a main vehicle to provide Chinese investment, Chinese technology, and also exchange of use between China and the world on the green developments. What are some of the success stories? I lived for some years in Kenya. If you travel through the city of Mombasa, frankly, that's a quite poor and somewhat run-down city, so it's not really inspiring you traveling through the city. But then, wow, <laughs> you come to the Nairobi Mombasa Railroad, the rail station is completely green, everything is well-functioning, it's completely clean, it's a completely new world, and of course it shows the people of Kenya the future uh, and how much Chinese investment can bring to Kenya. And this railroad is done with a lot of attention to nature that bypasses so that elephants and other uh, uh, animals can pass under or over uh, the railroad. I caught up with Marco Lambertini, the former Director General of the WWF International, and currently he is the co-chair of the BRIGC. Listen to our conversation. We're marking the 10th anniversary of the Belt and Road Initiative, something that has been conceived in Astana, Kazakhstan, 10 years ago by the Chinese president there, giving a speech to an audience in Central Asia. 10 years on, um, there are debates about the merits of this project. I guess the jury might, might still be out, but what do you think of this project 10 years on? The jury is still out, of course, uh, but le let's remember, uh, the project is nested in the current economic development model. It's not, uh, it's not broken free from, from that yet. And so, for sure, any infrastructure project to this day, it's still having a, a, an unacceptable impact on the environment. But we're seeing movement and progress in the right direction. That's what really that's what we really, really need to focus on and to accelerate the transition. And that's what the initiative that we are launching today, uh, the second phase, in fact, of the green, uh, Greening of the Belt Road Initiative is, uh, is, is all about. It's about now, now that we know what we need to do, now we need to apply in the design phase, implementation phase of infrastructure investment projects and, and deliver uh, the outcome that we want. Positive for, for the economy and the growth, uh, positive for the environment, uh, and, uh, and, and social development. And I think all this is, um, is, is, is possible. Um, and I can tell for sure that the commitment, the political commitment behind this is, is very strong. That's why we have agreed to join this initiative. Marco, tell us a bit about the BRIGC. Uh, what is this organization all about and what is it doing now? So this has been obviously an initiative already existing, uh, 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 launched and supported by President Xi at the time of the launch of the BRI. So there was already, <coughs> as part of this uh, uh, Chinese concept of ecological civilization, there, is a, there was already a commitment to make the, B, the Belt and Road Initiative uh, green, as green as possible uh, from the beginning. But now that commitment is even stronger because it's not just about making the BRI green, it's actually about making the BRI contributing 
to a global green agenda. And then there is the linear infrastructure, which is roads, railways, which are actually having an impact on nature, on natural habitats, on biodiversity. And, uh, and there is a great opportunity here to make sure that actually, by not just looking at the imp uh, mitigating the impact of the road, but looking at the implications of the road for the whole landscape, we can actually not only mitigate the impact of the routing of the infrastructure, but actually we can contribute to the conservation, the protection, sustainable development of the entire region where the infrastructure is based. And so, again, a, a net positive outcome, not just uh, uh, limited the damage, but actually do good, contribute to a larger conservation of the natural agenda. Marco, how would you assess the role of China uh, in not only the graining of the Chinese economy, but also in assuming this global uh, green leadership role, if you will? Well, I mean, China is in a absolutely fantastic position to lead uh, this transition, or to help lead, contribute to, to, to this transition in a significant way. First of all, uh, you are uh, at the epicenter of the global economy uh, as, a, as a major manufacturing uh, and, uh, and, and more uh, uh, country. Uh, uh, so, you know, the decision that you take uh, have repercussions globally, I inevitably, through the supply chains uh, you are part of. Um, secondly, you uh, also are geopolitically in a position that is close to the developing world. Uh, uh, you are seen as a, as, a, as, a, as a peer of many developing countries. Uh, and so you are in a position to forge a very different uh, relationship narrative discussion than perhaps the North and the West is uh, in some cases. Uh, and uh, I think China uh, has demonstrated by scaling up first domestically and then uh, internationally, uh, for example, renewable energy technology, that you can do that in so many other fields. Uh, one thing which is one of my uh, <laughs> uh, dreams is that China could, could repeat that incredible contribution to the world, a gift to the world of, of uh, uh, reducing the cost of renewable energy in the field of uh, biodegradable plastic polymers. Plastic is another big issue that we're facing today. It's increasingly uh, dangerous, we understand increasingly dangerous, for human health as well as for ecosystem and, and environment. And so imagine if China could uh, uh, develop a technology that really come up with polymers which are truly highly biodegradable, and uh, which are now already there almost, but need the investment to be scaled up, crash the price, the world will be ready like it was with solar panels to embrace it. So China has got plenty of opportunities because you have the economy, the size of the country, uh, and, the, and your position in global supply chains. And that will do it for this edition of The Hub on CGTN. I'm Wang Guan in Beijing. Our news coverage continues on CGTN. Bye and take care.